Hey there, and welcome to the Encore Podcast. I'm Chris McCoy, along with Gabrielle, also known as Gabby. Can we call you Gabby? We've I think been calling we've been doing you it already, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On this uh, edition, I'll be talking with, for the interview, Gabrielle Rossi. I can't seem to get away from that name. <laughs> Gabrielle Rossi is someone I met back in 2013. She, at the time, was uh, a student at Rutgers University in New Brunswick. Well, I was working in New Brunswick on the radio, doing the morning show for WMGQ. And uh, Gabrielle was part of a bunch of Rutgers students who were riding for a good cause, riding bikes, bicycles for a good cause from New Brunswick all the way down to Orlando. We've got to talk about that. But Gabrielle took that experience and parlayed into something she calls the Dream Project New Jersey. I'll get her to talk about that and the good works that they do. Uh, and that's coming up in the interview today. But before we get there, Gab, I was out to lunch with an old friend of mine, Brandon, whom I used to work with on the radio in Philly. And Brandon Brooks is his name. And he, like me, is retired most recently from KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. And Brandon and I were talking about from one news guy to a music radio guy. We were talking about the meanings of song over lunch. It sounded like it would be a good thing to do here on the podcast. I'd like to run a couple by you. And and Gabby, you have some songs. Now, see, we're from different generations. So I'm going to go back a little farther, probably, than Gabby is for these, right? Yeah, although I think I will probably know most of the songs that you tell me and vice versa, too. So yeah. Yeah. I came prepared for this podcast. I decided not to wing it this week. So Okay. <laughs> All right. I, one of these days, I'm going to do that, too. I'm going to come prepared. Uh, just not this week. All right. The first the first song that kind of jumped out at me was the song Jump by Van Halen. Think about Jump. It sounds like a good time. It's great rock and roll, in my opinion. It sounds like David Lee Roth is encouraging us to kind of like take a leap of faith. You know, he sings. And I know, baby, just how you feel. You've got to roll with the punches to get to what's real. Doesn't that sound inspiring? Well, the actual origin of the song Jump was something a little deeper. David Lee Roth says he was watching TV one night and the news came on and it showed a guy standing on top of the Arco Towers in Los Angeles. And he was about ready to kind of check out early and make the quick trip 33 stories down without the use of an elevator or a stairway, if you know what I mean. And it seems that there were people down on the street level there in L.A. yelling, don't jump. And David Lee Roth, being the kind of guy he is, said, I thought to myself, jump, go ahead, jump, might as well jump. He wrote that down and it became part of the hit song. So the next time you hear Jump on the radio by Van Halen, it uh, might not sound like such a silly good old rock and roll song any longer to you, or maybe it will. Um, I know one of the ones that I had looked at before we logged on today was Hey Ya by Outkast. Yes. Are you familiar with that one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's, I would say one of the most upbeat songs that I can think of, especially if I'm in a crowd of people dancing, you know, I think people turn it on and everyone gets up and you listen to the lyrics. It's actually an incredibly sad song. The singer's talking about the state of the couples at the time and divorce. And if nothing lasts forever, why would love be the exception? So, which is not something that I had really thought about until I started researching for this project. I think I just sort of blindly sang the lyrics as I danced. Can you blame me? It's such a, it's such a peppy song. When, yeah. when you do think about the lyrics, it is probably 
the saddest song I've ever heard from Outcast, but it's just so catchy. The thing is, is oftentimes you can't really pay attention to the lyrics while you're dancing. And unless you're a good multitasker, I've never been. So Hey Ya is really a sad song, is what yep. you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Next time I hear that, I'm going to take special notice. Yeah. So the real meanings behind popular songs is what we're talking about here today. And uh, some are so catchy or seem so caring and loving and romantic. But in fact, this one particular one describes someone who's in serious need of a restraining order. I'm talking about every breath you take by the police. To the casual listener, it sounds like a heartfelt commitment to endless love. I mean, this guy is obviously, he's obsessed, which is not always a good thing. Uh, lyrics like, since you're gone, I've been lost without a trace. I dream at night. I can only see your face. I look around, but it's you I can't replace. I keep crying, baby, <laughs> baby, please. But then every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. See, there's the scary. You can't make a move. You can't take a breath. You can't rake a leaf. You can't bake a cake without Sting watching you. So I think that's kind of scary. So it's really a song that is told from the point of view of a stalker, right? Yeah. I think when I heard that song for the first time and I sang the lyrics, it always kind of struck me as odd that people love the song so much. If you literally listen to the chorus, the most famous words we all know are every breath you take, every move you make, I'll be watching you. Yeah. You know, Sting said that he was kind of stunned by how his lyrics have been completely misunderstood down through the years. He says people have interpreted it as a gentle little love song when it's really quite the opposite. So there you go. I hope that uh, we're not dashing too many people's like, can you imagine somebody who danced at their wedding to every breath you take or even, well, hey, yeah, it doesn't sound like a, a wedding song to me. But <laughs> well, I was actually going to say for my next song along those lines of people who dance to songs at their weddings and may not have necessarily understood that the song was maybe not about a nice, healthy relationship as the song one by you two, which is something they wrote and definitely sounds as if it's about people coming together as one. But really the band has said for many years that they have no idea why people dance to that song at their wedding, because it's just about the fact that we all have to exist together. We don't exist united. There's a lot of problems. And they have said repeatedly that they are so surprised that couples pick that as their wedding song because it's really a song about, I don't know, giving up, I guess, and just admitting <laughs> that we all have to not maybe get along, but we all have to coexist, even though we continue to fight each other. So definitely a strange pick for a wedding song, I must say. So I guess the lesson in all of this is if you're thinking about picking a wedding song, maybe you should Google the lyrics first just to make sure. Right now, here's one that down through the years has been nothing but a party. Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville is really a sad song. It doesn't sound like it, though, does it? It sounds like an ode to lazy beach days full of margaritas, stepping on pop tops. It's really a song about depression over a failed relationship. You take the lyrics like some people claim is a woman to blame, but I know it's my own damn fault. And that comes at the very end of the song. You've got all this party sounding stuff going on. And then he gets to the part where he goes, yeah, I screwed up. It was me. That's why I'm not with her anymore. And talk about wasting away. Wasting away was never so much fun as it is in Margaritaville. 
<laughs> Jimmy Buffett, I think, is one of those sneaky artists that have songs that really the lyrics will hit you if you listen to them a little bit deeper. Yeah, but I mean, if you've got, you know, parrots in your hair and stuff, right. and if you're, you know, if you're at the concert, you you don't want to, you want to think more about the party than the, the failed relationship. <laughs> Halfway through the tailgate, you're not really trying to think about your failed relationships. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, speaking of another really upbeat one, there is a song called Good Riddance Time of Your Life by Green Day, which was a incredibly popular graduation, like senior dance, high school prom. Everyone picked that song because it sounds like it's about moving on from something that was good. And but almost like in a nostalgic way. I mean, the the singer does say, I hope you had the time of your life. But Mm -hmm. really, the song was written when his girlfriend decided to move to Ecuador and they were breaking up and he was very frustrated and angry. So the song is means literal more good riddance than it does looking back on something such as a graduation, such as prom and remembering it with such fond memories, which was so surprising to me as someone that grew up in the aughts because that song was everywhere for every sentimental moment that wasn't getting married. It felt like it's a great song. Um, I played it many, many times and it was only recently that I realized what was going on behind the up sounding, you know, we had the time of our life type stuff. Did you know that REM's losing my religion is not about losing one's faith in God Anyway, this is according to Michael Stipe, the guy who wrote it and sings it. He says, it, losing my religion, it's based on an old Southern saying, the same as being at the end of your rope and kind of like finally reaching that last straw. You know, for example, like the waitress might say when dealing with rude customers, I almost lost my religion at that table. I have never heard that. Of course, I didn't grow up in the South. The, the first time I heard Losing My Religion was from Michael Stipe and R.E.M. Great song, but not exactly what I thought it meant. Also never heard the phrase Losing My Religion in a more casual setting like that. But I do kind of wonder if that's because it became a hit song that it wasn't a colloquial that people were using so much anymore in casual conversation. Because if you say these iconic phrases like losing my religion, or that's what she said, you're immediately sort of referencing something else. Mm -hmm. So it becomes kind of harder to put it back in your vernacular. But I didn't realize that it was about kind of being at the end of your rope. That's really interesting. Yep. So I thought maybe the last one that we could go over is probably one that you have a couple of opinions on too. And I read a lot is open to interpretation, even though they had sort of a set idea in their minds when they were writing it. And that is Hotel California. Tell me about it. I must have played that a million times on the radio. (laughs) All six minutes, 12 seconds of it. (laughs) It is a long one. Yeah. Yeah. One of the first times that I really listened to it, I remember I turned to my dad and I said, oh, is this a song about hell? And he said, Hollywood. And, you know, once he sort of applied that to it, it it made sense to me, although I felt like the way that I had interpreted it too, you know, especially with lyrics like you can check out, but you can never leave. It just kind of sounded as if it was maybe a little bit more allegorical than Hollywood. However, when I went to go research it for us to have this conversation, They were saying that they wrote the song because they had certain images in mind. So it was like man traveling for a long time in a car, man getting out of the car and finding a hotel, man walking into the hotel and seeing a bunch of weird, spooky characters. And they said that they were really, really trying to write it as if it was a Twilight Zone episode. So Mm. someone coming in from like a normal day and just stepping into something that they have no idea, you know, what's going on. Everything seems a little bit off, which is very evident in the song, but 
I feel like I've heard so many different people give so many different interpretations of what it is that they could be singing about that while the twilight zone makes sense, I can totally see how they were writing it with that in mind. I also kind of wonder if maybe the song's almost taken on a life of its own and just beginning mean different things, depending on who's listening to it. I think that's the mark of a really good song is when you can put lyrics out there and have different listeners interpret it different ways. I think that you've really done your job as a, as a songwriter. I seem to remember somewhere hearing from uh, Glenn Fry and Don Henley, uh, two guys who wrote the song, talking about, too, how it also, for them, was kind of like, you know, getting under the thumb of the record company, you know, and all the pressure that that brings with that, too. You know, you can check in, but you can never leave, that kind of thing. And the Hotel California, the album, was their biggest in their entire career. And they, after they got done with that, they had to think to themselves, now, how are we going to top this? You know, because from side A, cut one side A to, you know, cut whatever 12 side B, there was not one bad song on that album. It was just the, the absolute pinnacle, in my opinion, of the Eagles uh, musical career. So how do you top it? I don't know. Go check in, raid the mini bar, see if you get, <laughs> see what comes up. <laughs> So just to wrap up this conversation, I did have a couple of honorable mentions, which I thought were interesting because the lyrics are pretty upfront about what the song is about, which is some tough subject matter, but they have such catchy beats that I almost feel like the beat sort of overrides what you're singing or hearing and Mm -hmm. people are a little bit more concentrated on that. The three songs that I have taken a look at for that was 18 by Ed Sheeran, which was about a woman on the street who's a prostitute who was also a drug addict who ends up dying by the end of the song. And he wrote it with this beautiful upbeat melody on the guitar. And it became his first major hit. I think that's how most people began to know his work. But he said that he wrote it with the upbeat tempo because it was tough subject matter. And he felt like people weren't going to listen to the tough subject matter unless he put an upbeat tempo to it. So I thought that, yeah, Mm -hmm. I thought that was very interesting. The other two are, Pumped Up Kicks, which is a song about school shootings. That was all over mainstream radio for a very long time, which I always thought was a little strange because it was pretty obvious with lyrics such as, let's see if you can outrun my gun and talking about kids with like nice clothing and nice shoes and like a a shooter coming in and, and gunning them down. And like I said, I always thought it was really interesting that it was consistently on pop radio all the time. Scary stuff. Scary, but true. Yeah, it's very true. Um, And then just on a lighter note, a song from a couple of years ago called I Took a Pill in Ibiza by Mike Posner. I found out after the song had come out and been popular for a little while that he originally had done it on the guitar as an acoustic song. And when you listen to it like that, lyrics of him having a hard time with his fame and feeling alone and feeling trapped and all those other things he discussed. It, it was a lot more impactful to hear it acoustic, but when they were playing it with a club beat on all the radio stations and stores at, at clubs, at bars, it just felt like a fun song talking about having a good time while being out in, in Ibiza. So I think what these three songs have that are a little bit different than the ones that we previously discussed were these lyrics, I would say, are a little bit more explicit about what it is that they're talking forward, about. Yeah. yeah. But um, the song just, feels different. It does. And but it's like it's almost like the beat that makes it digestible, I guess, and radio. So mm-hmm. 
Interesting stuff. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll talk with Gabrielle Rossi of the Dream Project New Jersey on the Encore podcast. My guest today is Gabrielle Rossi. Hello, Gab. Hey, Chris, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I trust you are as well? Yeah, you know, doing what I can to stay safe and sane. Amen. I first met Gabby when she was a student at Rutgers, and I was working on the radio in the morning at WMGQ in New Brunswick. And Gabrielle was part of a, a team of Rutgers students. How many of you were there at the time? Do you recall? Yeah, there were five of us who rode our bikes and three uh, fearless support members. That's right. Now, here's what they did. This, to this day, this freaks me out. I felt very parental, I have to say, back then when you guys were doing it. They all got on bikes and they rode some 1,600 miles from New Brunswick down to Orlando, Florida to uh, Disney World. And it was not just because they wanted to see the sights and you know go on the rides and things like that. They were doing this to raise awareness of kids with cancer and blood disorders. And I, I think, what was it? Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, the Embrace Kids. Mm-hmm. So the Embrace- I know Rutgers used to, still does the dance marathon every year. And they raise awareness by doing that. But you guys thought, you know, dancing is fine, but let's all ride bikes from 1,600 miles to Florida. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, had, you had support. Like you said, you had a couple of people in the vans. And I guess you had to bring extra supplies like tubes and tires and all that sort of thing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we had, I guess, had five of us who rode in, and then three who drove alongside in a Honda Pilot with our sleeping bags and food and uh, first aid supplies, lots of sunscreen, uh, spare tubes, bike pumps, and all that stuff. I was uh, I was in touch with the, with the group as they were making their way down toward Florida. I think every morning we would check in with some of you and just to see how it was going and to make sure everybody was still okay. <laughs> And you would stop, I think it was uh, prearranged, right, that you would stop at different host families that would uh, allow you to sleep overnight, have dinner, maybe some breakfast in the morning before you pushed off, which was kind of cool. So at some point after all of this, were you uh, a senior at uh, Rutgers at the time? Yeah, I was a rising senior. So I was uh, between my junior and senior year of college that summer. You decided that that experience was not enough for you. And the, the, the whole thing kind of morphed into what you're doing these days, which is something called the Dream Project. Can you tell us what that's all about? The entire summer, that experience doing uh, Dream for the Kids, Dream for TK, was very transformative for me. I was at a point and largely still feel like I am where I was trying to figure out who I wanted to be and how I wanted to contribute to the world around me and what that was going to look like after I graduated college. And the trip really showed me that I could do good and do good by my community at any phase of my life. And it wasn't something where I needed to have a large net worth or be tenured in my field or have a huge network. You know, doing good uh, is really about putting a stake in the ground and saying, I care so much about this cause that I'm going to go out of my way and go outside my comfort zone in whatever shape or form that looks like to show my community and make an impact on that community. That bike ride really set me up in so many ways for all the things that I have 
done and continue to be doing in the nine years uh, since we took that trip. And so as much fun and as incredible of an experience of biking across the country is, it was really the takeaways that have stayed with me all of these years later. Are any of the original members of the uh, 4TK involved with you? Sideline cheerleaders uh, and, and, and dear friends. And so after I did that bike ride and, and continued to go through life and, and graduate from undergraduate and, and start my master's and continuing education program, I wanted to keep returning back to that experience. And again, not just the bike ride, but everything that stayed with me as a result of that experience and do what I could to provide opportunities for other young adults going through this time in their lives to understand the importance of giving back and, and, and doing good and learning that much like I had philanthropy and volunteerism and civic engagement are muscles. And just like any other muscle in order to grow that muscle, you need to flex that muscle. And you do so in small, consistent ways that build up over a lifetime. And by doing so and weaving those behaviors into your day-to-day existence in your life, in your school, in your work, in your career, in your family, and, and, and all of those things. And so I started the Dream Project to do just that. Every year we've had uh, groups of college students and young adults commit to learning about working alongside, fundraising for, volunteering with local organizations in their area and understanding and listening and engaging with those communities and understanding how these entities are really the bedrock of the communities in which we we live and breathe. Simultaneous to that process, also preparing for this uh, cross-country fundraising bike ride. And so we've had- Cross-country, you say? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so we've had riders who've gone to Portland, Miami. We did New Jersey trip where we had a group uh, bike to all 21 counties across the state and, and volunteer with 30 social service organizations in 30 days to, to help get our neighbors back on their feet. And so every year has been such a transformative experience for me, <laughs> much less them, in learning about and working alongside these incredible community partners. I think the, the great thing about the Dream Project has always been that it's built on this network of strangers, uh, nonprofit organizations, communities, entire towns, hosts who might not necessarily know where New Brunswick, New Jersey is, or might not necessarily know the specific organization we're working with, right? They don't know Elijah's Promise, or they don't know Triple C Housing, or they don't know uh, Visions and Pathways, which are all local New Jersey organizations, but they understand and they appreciate the mission of those organizations. They understand and appreciate working towards ending food insecurity or displaced youth or homelessness. And so we can all reflect and work together to build brighter communities that are working to all fulfill these same missions and visions, even if we come from different backgrounds and experiences. And that for me has always been the biggest takeaway of Dream. How do you go about raising money aside from awareness? Each a uh, student has always had fundraising minimum. And the thing with the dream is it's a lot of big numbers to tackle. There's the, the mileage of how much you're biking, the volunteer hours, the fundraising minimum. Like these are all big challenges in and of itself, much less when you put them all together. My goal has always been about making these experiences accessible and educational. The whole idea of philanthropy and volunteers and being muscles, you have to, just like if you you started a gym routine, you wouldn't um, show up and start, you know, throwing big weights, you would work up 
to in, in an incremental fashion. It's the same way with all these goals. And so we break them up and break them down, make them accessible and continuously tie them back to the work that we're doing. And so the writers spend time volunteering with their community organizations so that they could go back to their family and their friends and their professors and their classmates and say, this is the work that I'm doing your donation will directly support XYZ because I know because I'm I'm boots on the ground. I'm doing that work. I'm I'm seeing the effect of this this impact. And they get creative. You know, the, the some of the most creative fundraisers over the years have been the most unconventional. You know, we've had writers who've made music videos or drawn caricatures, clothing sales, open mic nights. I mean it's gotten incredibly hard over the past two years because so many of those fundraising initiatives haven't involved or relied on some sort of in-person aspect. And so moving virtual has been incredibly challenging in so many ways. But again, it's all about breaking down the, these bigger numbers. I always tell writers, you know, there's some professors that they'll have where they'll say, you know, your final papers due at the end of the semester, send it to me then. And there's others that you know break it up into incremental steps where you need to submit your thesis statement your work cited, your outline, your drafts over the course of the semesters you work to this final paper. And I've always been the latter of that type. And so by setting up benchmarks in terms of fundraising and volunteering and, and, and mileage training, there's less room for procrastination and total overwhelm, <laughs> being totally overwhelmed and, and freaked out before the start of the trip. Most poignant story, I should say, and, and I think really shows the long-term impact of programs like the Dream Project at their best, is there is a small town called Lacrosse. Lacrosse is so wonderful because it shows the impact that programs like the Dream Project can have at their best. And so uh, Lacrosse has a year-round population of like 300. It's a blip on the map. It's surrounded by farming. If you like zoom in on Google Maps, it's like nothing, it's nothing, it's nothing. And then it's a tiny little town with like one main street in and out. And so the riders were going through towards the end of their trip one summer, and I had connected with someone in town about finding a place for them to stay because there's nothing else. It was it was lacrosse or nothing. And the entire town kind of took up the cause, really came together at a time where apparently that was much harder for those 300 townspeople than you might otherwise expect and really unified around this idea of welcoming these writers. And, and, and they rolled out, right? Like there was a parade that came in with them. They had like a police and fire uh, truck escort. There was a whole picnic in town, fireworks, everything. The contacts that I had in town were telling me that, you know, this was a really transformative experience for their the kids in town because they see people in their community grow up and work in the farms and then come back and, and, and it's a much smaller life for them. And so the idea that you can bike across the country and, and look at the map from where you are in New Jersey to here and, and to see you got there on two wheels opens up a whole new world of possibility. But even more than that, since that experience, you know, we've stayed in touch and they started their own a food pantry in town and, and started a whole nonprofit around um, working towards solving food insecurity for, for people in town and the surrounding community because they were so inspired by the writers who came in. And that warms my heart, right? Like I may never meet these people in lacrosse. I may never go to lacrosse, but to know that in like a very, very, very small way, we help make the world a little bit brighter for this one community is something that makes me feel good. 
the uh, lacrosse chamber of commerce i'm sure would that uh, will be sending you a nice thank you for that. <laughs> it is a full page first of all this town has a wonderful daily newspaper i hope it's still uh, in publication at this point full page spread about the writers and then a follow-up about the organization that they started it was like the best press we've ever gotten it was absolutely incredible very grateful that is a great story good old midwestern hospitality and community it sounds like probably uh, it could be on like one of the 20 best places to live if you don't mind it not being very exciting <laughs> it's one of those places where if you look at it on a map, uh, you can tell the Google satellite truck just drove through town once and got everything they needed. <laughs> That's all they needed because it is, it, again, you zoom in and it's just nothing. And then there's this town and they're full of absolutely, absolutely wonderful people. Very honored. One day I'll make it to lacrosse. Well, thank you, Gab, for that story. That was... Uh... Well, thanks for asking. That's nice. If someone's listening to this and they want to get involved and do this and, you know, if they have a bike and they're in shape and they can do all of this, how do they get in touch? How do they actually make it happen for themselves? Even if you aren't physically able and in shape and willing to and able to commit the one to two months to biking across the country for charity, I think there are so many smaller ways you can be involved in your community. And I think, again, that's the always been the the essence of the dream project as cool as the bike ride is it's not and never has been about the bike ride it's been about connecting with our communities in in local ways on a consistent basis and so i would wholly encourage someone who is interested in getting involved in any sort of way to start with a community-centric approach as opposed to a bike-centric approach and so connecting with an organization in your community that you want to learn more about or you want to help or you want to donate your time or your resources or anything like that and really take the time to listen and learn and understand what they're doing in maybe obvious ways and not so obvious ways, right? There's so many wonderful community organizations that are doing the behind the scenes work or the more discreet work or the work that we don't want to have to look at or think about because it makes us uncomfortable and and really get involved there. Because the thing that I always like to stress is we don't come into any organization or any situation and prescribe. I'm not an expert. None of my riders are experts. Like these organizations have been working towards like really weighty issues for decades, right? Like if food insecurity had been figured out by now, someone would have figured it out. And no group of college students is going to be able to tackle that in in a one-year period. Instead, we come in from a perspective of listening and learning so that we can be better advocates and ambassadors for that continuous work as opposed to trying to solve and prescribe. And then again, from there, knowing what they need. And maybe they don't need someone to bike across the country in their honor. Maybe they need someone to show up every Tuesday morning and, you know, help with sorting and donations or or again, some of this grunt work that's less than glamorous, but keeps the lights on. Yeah. Nothing more glamorous than riding a bike across country. Uh, (laughs) I'll I'll tell you what, recently within the last couple of years, I've drove across country twice, once out to California and then once back. And I did it with three cats and a dog. I think I would have rather been on a bicycle the whole time. (laughs) And and I wasn't doing it to raise money or awareness of anything. I was just trying to get from point A to point B. So, But I get what you're saying about, you know, I kind of been focused in on the the riders aspect of it. But there are so many things that other 
that that people can do to help with the cause. And uh, I totally get that. It's the uh, the Dream Project New Jersey dot org. Is that the website? It's the Dream Project NJ dot org. Yeah. Dream Project NJ. Org. So you can also find us on Instagram and, and Facebook at The Dream Project NJ, consistent across the board. Gab, it was really good to see you again. And uh, thank you so much for uh, telling us about The Dream Project. Keep up the good work. You're still going after degree after degree, aren't you? Yeah. So I am working on my PhD now and my research, funnily enough, is around the long-term validity and effects of programs that give young adults and college students the opportunity to bike across the country for charity. So the Dream Project is by no means the only organization that does this kind of work. There's many organizations in which I've affectionately coined Bike Across the Country to make the world a better place organizations that prepare riders for the opportunity to bike any amount of distance in support of any amount of uh, different causes. And I've always been interested in understanding, you know, what happens to those riders after this one summer. So I know in a a vacuum what happened to me and in my experience, but I'm by no means unique in that. And so I'm using this opportunity to really learn from and understand what happens and what is the impact of these organizations beyond the fundraising dollars that they they donate for that one summer and the volunteer hours that they donate for that one summer? What happens to the people? Thanks for your time today, Gabrielle Rossi, uh, and telling us about the Dream Project and the good works that you do and the way you get prioritized civic engagement with uh, with the young people. I think is just a, an amazing and very much needed thing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you.